Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today for our weekly news analysis show is my co-host, attorney and Republican strategist Jay Carson. We start today with the story that dominated the news this week, former FBI Director James Comey's testimony before the Senate Intelligence Committee. In his testimony, Comey called the president a liar who had defamed him. He also made clear his belief that President Trump fired him because he would neither pledge his loyalty nor halt the FBI investigation into former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn. Comey also testified that he gave unclassified information concerning his interaction with the president to a friend so that it could be released to the media. Now, obviously, this was a huge story in the mainstream media this week. So, Jay, uh, what do you make of all of it? Um, yeah, I think it was a huge story. And it, it was uh, these these types of things. Uh, we, we get them every so often where you have a uh, distinguished, uh, dare I say, good looking, um, uh, you know, person taking oh. the oath in front of uh, Congress to uh, to talk about some nefarious goings on and. Uh, this this fit the bill, um, and and you know again it's it's great television. Um, I think we did actually <clears throat> learn some things uh, in this that, that we hadn't before, uh, which which I think were were interesting. And and I, again to me, if you're if we're asking just about the uh, does it fundamentally change anything uh, that's that's going to happen one way or the other? No. Um, uh, the investigation is still going to go forward, uh, presided over by uh, Bob Mueller. Um, uh, Trump made some bizarre rattlings about uh, filing some sort of complaint against Comey for for leaking, um, which I don't know if he's followed up on. That would seem to be a, a bad idea, sort of disastrous move. Uh, Trump also made the statements of, well, uh, I've been totally, completely, 100 percent exonerated. Um, and, you know, now I'm going to <laughs> sue Comey. Um, you know, so did it, you know, I, to me, first of all, I, I don't see that there's any absolute evidence of, uh, obstruction of justice, uh, uh, on the part of Trump. And it, it would call into question of, uh, if Comey believed Trump had been attempting to obstruct justice, why didn't he do something about it? Uh, so I, I, I don't think there's going to be much, much there. Um, what it did show though was, and to me, I, I think Trump is is in way over his head uh, in dealing in this kind of you know personal hand to hand political combat. Uh, he's he's just outclassed, and and I think Comey sort of ran circles around him uh, as far as that game goes. Yeah, you know, I I really agree on pretty much all those points with you. On the obstruction thing, I know that there are a lot of people, especially on the left, who are trying to make that case. But I just don't think there's enough in a in a legal sense. Now, certainly there's a a reasonable rationale for impeachment proceedings, uh, and that might happen if the Democrats take the House in 2018. In fact, if they do. I don't see how they resist the the cries from their base to do that. I think that would be a a really bad idea for a lot of reasons, but 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 yeah, I think it was just Donald Trump being Donald Trump, not knowing what he's doing and just thinking that, well, what's the problem with saying, you know, uh, hey, could you just ease off this guy? Come on, man. Cut him a break. Exactly. You know, and so I think it's it's stupid, it's boneheaded, but I I but then again, then again, Jay, there's the fact that he cleared the room 
before he talked to Comey. And, you know, some people said, well, if he didn't think that this was a big deal, why did he clear the room first? And I don't know. There's there's something to be said for that. But bottom line is, oh, I, I think I think he cleared he cleared the room for for emphasis. Uh, again, I think that's just sort of the Donald Trump's style, the, the, Hey, look, can I talk to you man to man here? Just, just for a second between us guys, come on, cut him a break. I, I think that's just sort of the, you know, the well, Trumpian way, you, you know, you do business and you, um, I, so I, I think again, that's just uh, Trump being in way over his head as far as, as playing this game. Um, yeah, but, certainly. I think we both agree on, on the fact that uh, Donald Trump is in way over his head on this. Yeah. And, and go ahead. I, I just want to jump in, I, you know, cause I was thinking about this throughout the week. We use a lot of sports analogies on the show. Uh, and it, my first thought was, you know, it's like you and you or me uh, playing against LeBron James. That's not good. Um, pardon? I said, that's not good. <laughs> it no, can't end well. No, but then I, but then I thought, no, it's not even that because Look, LeBron James has far superior skills and far superior experience in playing basketball, but both you and I have a rudimentary understanding about the game of basketball and how you play it and what the goal is and what the rules are. Um, this, I mean, to me, it struck me more like, you know, I, and we have a lot of uh, UK listeners. It'd be like you or me playing cricket against Ooh. like the best cricket player guy um, you know, they've, they've got it in Britain. Um, not only, you know, don't we have the skills, don't we have the experience, aren't, we're not any good at it. We don't even know what the hell the game's about. I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing that struck me. So, no, I think that that's an interesting, that's an interesting comment. You know, before we get more deeply into sort of our, our thoughts about this and implications, we want to thank the first sponsor of today's show, Lord Timepieces. They're a London based watch brand and they offer an extensive line of classic stylish men's and women's watches with quality constructions at great prices. The models start at just $84 US and you get free shipping worldwide. Uh, I got what's called the Midnight Black model from their Bolt collection. It all sounds very masculine. I like it. Um, and it's by far the, the best looking watch that I currently own. I have, a, you know, I'm not like a super watch geek kind of guy, but I have, you know, maybe half a dozen watches and it's definitely the coolest of the watches watches that I, well, help that I've ever owned, uh, this kind of manly black thing. And it's got this crimson red second hand. I don't know. I really like, I think it intimidates my other watches actually. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, if, if manly black with a crimson slash that will intimidate your other watches is not really your thing, not a problem. They've got a ton of choices, both men's and women's models. It probably took me, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes on their sites to decide actually which one I wanted because there were just, just a ton of really excellent options. And of course, Politics Guys listeners, you all get a special deal, 10% off if you go to lordtimepieces.com. And when you check out, use our code TPG. That's lordtimepieces.com. And our code is TPG. Check it out. I think you'll really like it. Okay. You know, back to the the Comey thing, I, I wanted, you know, there's a lot of talk, obviously, about this investigation and parallels to, uh, to Watergate. But, you know, I think the better parallel actually is a parallel to Whitewater, right? The investigation yeah. during the Clinton yeah. administration, you know, um, you know, there were many people in the Clinton White House who actually thought the Whitewater investigation might last, oh, six months or so. And it lasted over six years. 
And of course, right. you know, it went way far afield from what the, what the original focus of the investigation was. Uh, there were a lot of people whose careers were destroyed. There was a lot of collateral damage. The president himself survived, right? But there was a lot of stuff going in, you know, and I really think this is a lot more like a whitewater thing. The one difference being that, uh, number one, we don't have the independent counsel statute anymore. Ken Starr had a lot more independent authority. That statute, as we talked about previously, lapsed in 1999. I mean, both parties thought it should. But I also think that there are a lot more sort of uh, sketchy people in the Trump administration. Now, some of the anti-Clintonites will disagree with me on that, but I expect Bob Mueller, who by all accounts is a very thorough kind of guy, uh, I think he's going to find a lot. I don't necessarily think he's going to find anything linking Donald Trump directly to Russia or even anyone high up in the Trump organization directly to Russia. Those are some Kushner stuff going on. But this is certainly, I think this this cripples his presidency for, for really the rest of his time in office because I don't expect us to see any kind of a report for, for years, but I do expect these leaks to keep on coming out. And I think Donald Trump is basically just going to be a largely impotent president in part, you know, because of this. Yeah. Well, although Mueller said he expects to, to issue a report within months, uh, now, again, that is there's sort of the caveat that you kind of build into that, uh, you know, assuming he doesn't find a bunch of other stuff that you got to investigate and then report on that. Right. Um, I think it's, this is a little bit different than, than Whitewater in that what the accusations are generally understandable uh, to the, the regular public. Good point. Um, look, I'm, I'm a lawyer and, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you really exactly what Whitewater was about. And again, it's, it's fading in the distance. There was probably a, a time when I could have, uh, but it was, it was, it was horribly confusing, complex land transactions and, and so forth. Um, uh, but, but this boils down to sort of a simpler question of, and the question that most people are concerned about is, did Trump do anything, uh, either himself or or his his surrogates, his his high up surrogates, uh, to coordinate uh, any sort of Russian intervention uh, in the campaign? Uh, and I think that's a, a question that it's easier to get an answer to. Um, well, I, as, I hear what you're saying. Forward. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an easier question. I think there are probably fewer witnesses to to depose. There's fewer records to go through. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I look, I'd certainly it's, it doesn't help him. No. Um, but, but, but I, I don't know. Let's, let's, I think it's early to say it's crippling. It would cripple his presidency. Well, um, well, what, well, what will cripple his presidency, uh, is, is the other, the crazy nonsense of, of now I'm going to go after, uh, Jim Comey, um, uh, of, of continuing sort of these, these personal fights, uh, when, when he doesn't need to, I mean, I think if, if, uh, I'm Donald Trump and I'm not. Uh, the the response is the FBI is continuing the investigation, and uh, I, you know I'm I'm confident you know they'll they'll uh, do a good job. And in the meantime, we need to talk about tax reform and and fighting terrorism. I mean that's that's what he ought to be saying rather than uh, digging in deeper. But yeah. but he he can't help himself. No, that's what a that's what a normal politician would say, but certainly not what. Donald Trump is going to say, you know, I, I, I think I agree with you in large part, but I disagree, at least in terms of uh, what the investigation might focus on or find. You know, there's that old cliche, you're familiar with it, Jay, it's not the crime, it's the cover up. 
Sure. Right? And what we've seen time and time again from incredibly smart people, both Democrats and Republicans, is what ends up getting them is not what they did, but how they tried to hide it, even if they didn't necessarily do much of anything that would have been a big deal. And it just seems like it's a it's a natural instinct. It's certainly an instinct with Trump. And so this obstruction stuff, who knows, you know, how how far this goes. Now there have been, you know, other testimonies saying that he didn't lean on anyone else, or maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Sessions is going to testify soon. I don't expect him to say a whole lot, but but you know, you don't know where this is gonna go, obviously. And if you have someone who really knows what he's doing and who digs into things, you know I said historically, what ends up happening is people get nailed by the by the cover up, by the obstruction, sure. and not by the underlying crime itself. And so I, sure. you know, we'll see what happens with that. And, and to me, again, the biggest point, and if you're a conservative and Republican, the biggest point of, of frustration where you're beating your head against the wall is none of this had to happen. No, exactly. Um, there's again, uh, Trump, uh, for, for all I've discussed that, that Comey probably should have been fired. Well, you could have just kept on going with Comey or you could have fired him in such a way that would not have created this situation. Or you could have been smart enough not to try to engage in these sort of, uh, goofy, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, and, and again, going back to my, my cricket analogy, uh, you know, one of the things that, I mean, to be successful, I mean, I, I know I've, I've never played cricket, can't play cricket, would have no idea what I'm doing playing cricket. So I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? I but, that's but sort of the, hold, you know, let, if, let if, me follow this. Trump administration could learn that, that, uh, you know, here, here are things that you're not good at. And I would say traditionally Republicans are not good at this hand to hand in fighting in any circumstance. Oh gosh, no. Yeah. I think I totally disagree with you on that, but, but. I think certainly your your general point about not Trump not knowing cricket to kind of follow with your analogy, that's that's true certainly. But what you do then is if you don't know the rules of the game, you surround yourself with people who do, and you listen right. to those people. So it's not right. to me, it's not just that Trump does not have the experience in how politics works at these levels. The real problem is that he's relying on his instincts, which served him well as a narcissistic publicity mongering real estate developer, but those are the same sort of instincts that don't serve him well as president of the United States. And he doesn't seem to entirely realize this. And so, you know, and so like you said, you know, none of this had to happen, but it sort of did because this is what you get when you elect a Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I think that's, I think that's right. All right. You know, kind of lost in the shuffle this week was president Trump's announcement via Twitter, um, that he had chosen a new FBI director. The president's nominee, Christopher Wray, was an assistant attorney general in charge of the criminal division at the Justice Department from 2003 to 2005, after which he went into private practice in Washington, D.C. And the consensus here is that Wray is a safe, conservative pick. He's known for a very low-key manner, respected for his independence. Uh, so uh, to me, it seemed like a, a pretty safe, boring vanilla pick, the sort of thing we don't necessarily see a lot from the Trump administration. Uh, Jay, what did you think? I, I think that was terrific. Absolutely terrific, as, as Trump would say. But um, yeah, and, and the frustration to me is here he does something which is uh, completely very normal. Uh, I mean, this is this is someone, and look, I'm sure Democrats might, might quibble one way or the other, but uh, he's he's generally well respected uh, in Washington. 
um, is not seen as as being some sort of uh, you know overly partisan figure. He's a deep state guy, sort of so to speak. I mean that he he spent his time um, sort of in the bureaucracy. Um, uh, yeah, and I think this would be be a I think he's a, a a great pick, and I think it'll do well. But again, Trump instead of uh, taking advantage of that, again he got out outplayed by. Um, by Comey, who released his prepared testimony the day ahead uh, and knocked this kind of out of the news cycle. As you mentioned, nobody really heard about it. Uh, and the only the only you know press was, again, Trump tweeting, hey, we got a new F- FBI director. Um, right. Uh, and, and again, it's just not not well, knowing how to how to play the game. Um, you know, again, does does this really affect and today, no, of course, this guy's going to be the FBI director, and I'm, I, I anticipate he'll do a, a fine job of it. Um, but, but uh, you know, again, the Trump, the Trump team is just is just floundering. Well, you know, also this comes nearly a month after Trump fired Comey, and a competent, well organized administration would have had a replacement ready to go like within a week. Right. Sure. And and this is, as you pointed out, this is the kind of simple behind the scenes nuts and bolts thing that Trump's kind of management by chaos. Uh, as I don't I hesitate to call it a strategy. Um, his his approach, it seems to make this basically impossible. And these are the things that you need to get right if you want to be effective. It's one thing to get press coverage. Trump knows how to do that. But to actually get things done, this is what he struggles with. And it's not for lack of having some people around him who understand how this works, it's because he doesn't want to go along with that, with that game. You know, he doesn't have the discipline to do that sort of thing. And as we've talked about again and again, this is something, if you see that and you're, you're a liberal, you say, well, thank God for small favors. (laughs) But if you're a conservative, if you believe in some of the things that Donald Trump supposedly stands for, if you think he stands for anything outside of Donald Trump, uh, you say, my God, what a wasted opportunity. So, Well, to me, it's not so much believing Donald Trump. It's believing in, look, we have a Republican Congress right? Uh, that could do a lot of stuff, uh, irrespective of Donald Trump. And, and that is being uh, hindered uh, by, by his, his ego and his, his, uh, uh, his taking this, this completely goofy approach. I mean, it's, it's it's not about him. I guess that's probably um yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> if I could deliver one message. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that message. So, um you know, before we move on, we want to thank our second sponsor today's show, SeatGeek. Buying tickets to live events, it can be a real hassle, but it doesn't have to be. SeatGeek gives you a smart and simple way to get tickets to concerts, sporting events, and pretty much any other live show or performance you can think of. With SeatGeek, you can find the best seats at the best prices. It's fully guaranteed and it only takes a few taps. Now, I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone. And just yesterday, I timed how long it would take for me to go from opening the app to buying tickets at a great price to a Joe Jackson concert. You, you probably remember Joe Jackson, Jay, from back yeah, in the day. Yeah, stepping out. Yeah, exactly. It 27.42 seconds, okay? It's that quick. Okay. <clears throat> it's that convenient. Plus, with SeatGeek, you can track and get updates on venues, events, performers you'd like to see. So the next time your favorite group comes to town, you can know about it right away and get those tickets right away. 
And you can even connect with Spotify, your music library, and Facebook to get notifications about artists you listen to or follow. Though, if you don't like to get notifications on your phone, you can turn that off pretty easily. And when you buy a ticket, they'll even put the day and time of the event on your calendar if you want them to do that. Best of all, Politics Guys listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code POLITICSGUY. There's no S, just POLITICSGUY. Enter that code, promo code POLITICSGUY, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All right. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Moving on to our next story here. Um, Well, actually, you know, before we move on to our next story, we have a new supporter this week that we'd like to thank. Uh, it, uh, our new supporter is Ocneum from Portland, Oregon, who donated to the show through PayPal. And thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and he writes, I think your show is fantastic and eagerly await listening to every new episode as a Middle Eastern, as a Middle Eastern immigrant studying in an extremely liberal space. I think it is important for me as a person and even more so as an academic to regularly listen in on the conversation between different sides and views of the U.S. political spectrum. I regularly cite your conversations in my own discussions. You're doing a great job and should keep at it. Oh, well, thank you very much. That means a lot. Absolutely. And so if you'd like to to donate to help keep the show going, you you know the drill by now, I'm sure. Go to politicsguys.com, click on either the Patreon or PayPal donation links you'll see there. And of course, another way to support the show is to check out our sponsors using the the promo codes and so forth and spread the word by sharing episodes, new show tweets and posts and all that kind of stuff. And as always, we really appreciate your support. Okay. Moving on, you know, it's been a long time. I can't recall the last time we've done an under the radar segment. For those of you who might not e- might even remember <laughs> what that is, it's where we discuss a story that didn't get the attention we feel it deserved. Um, but this week we're bringing it back to talk about a huge story in policy wonk circles that really was buried under the the twelve thousand Comey testimony analysis stories, of which and I, I read a bunch of them and almost all of them said, seem to say about the same thing. And this story kind of got lost in the shuffle. So let me give, let me give you some background then Jay. I I think you and I are going to have some slightly different takes on this. All right. So we have to flashback or go back to 2010. Sam Brownback, former Senator and uh, pretty much an arch conservative. He briefly ran for president in 2008. Even he was elected governor of Kansas. Now, his primary goal as governor was to lower taxes in the state in kind of an attempt to fully implement that whole supply side, tax cuts will more than pay for themselves conservative gospel. And thanks to a compliant conservative legislature, he did exactly that. Except things didn't work out quite like Brownback and his fellow conservatives hoped. That big wave of business investment and growth that was supposed to be unleashed by the cuts, it never materialized. But what did materialize? Massive gaming of the new system, a major drop in state revenues, a budget shortfall of nearly $900 million, and economic growth that lagged that of bordering states and that of the country as a whole. And in this last election, while conservatives still managed to retain control of the Kansas legislature, voters who'd had enough of this elected enough moderates to overturn billion of Brownback's cuts and to override the gubernatorial veto that followed that. So why does this matter outside of Kansas? Well, 
because it's exactly the sort of plan that many conservatives have been hoping to implement on the national level. And, and in fact, President Trump's budget is a version of what Brownback did in Kansas, though it's not quite as radical of a version. So, Jay, I, I know you've got some, some thoughts on that. And like I said, I know that your, your thoughts on that are going to be very different from, from mine on betting. Before we get to that, we want to thank our third and final sponsor for today's show, Blue Apron the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the United States. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And they made it accessible even to me, a guy whose wife literally cringes when she sees me making something in the kitchen. Um, and they do it all with super fresh ingredients, partnering with local producers across the country, and they source these ingredients in a way that supports a sustainable food system. Now, Jay, you're a Blue Apron customer too. What do you think about them? I am. I love it. Uh, it's great. It's convenient and uh, it's good. So, I, you know, that's we were a, a busy family with uh, kids who are running to all kinds of activities. And uh, lots of times it is tough to, to get everybody to sit down and have an actual home cooked meal. Uh, and this this gives you sort of the the advantage of uh, of being able to do that without uh, all the time and all the prep that you might otherwise spend. Yeah, definitely. And you know, the thing, and, and also I got to tell you, like so much of the time and prep in my family is what are we having for dinner? What are we having for dinner? What uh -huh. I mean, you, that, that takes like, so it, you, you decide here's what we're going to have, you get it and you make it and it's, it's great. Yeah. And it's, and it's great stuff too, right? I mean, uh, you get things like warm smoked trout and asparagus salad with fingerling potatoes and garlic croutons, something I'd never make without their really clear instructions and all those stuff just given to you right there. And uh, spiced zucchini enchiladas with creamy lime and tomato rice, peach honey glazed chicken with mashed sweet potatoes, collard greens, and Thai basil. So this is, this is some amazing stuff and less than $10 per person per meal. It's delivered right to your door. If you check out this week's menu, you get your first three meals free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com slash TPG. That's blueapron.com slash TPG. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Blueapron.com slash TPG. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, so on to this Kansas experiment. Jay, what, is, what does this tell you? Uh, what do you take away from the failure of this Kansas experiment? Well, you know, it's it's a tough, tough decision. There, there are a lot of things that you could look at. Uh, I don't think you can draw the conclusion that tax cuts are are always bad. Um, the Some have suggested, uh, for example, uh, Forbes magazine, which is, I wouldn't say that they're a, um, you know, conservative outlet. I, I suppose, you know, Steve Forbes is. The magazine itself isn't. Uh, isn't always. Um, but, uh, you know, the the uh, <laughs> Kansas's re re Republican treasurer said sometimes ideological experiments bring unintended consequences uh, and that this yeah. is a, a, you know, that type of thing. Uh, when you do big changes uh, quickly, you get uh, unintended consequences. Uh, the other um, uh, piece of it, it's it's you know, and again, I, I understand, look, I, I'm going to make this argument and, and I understand the, there's going to be, oh, come on, coming after, but it's, it's also a, uh, were they given long enough to work? Um, you know, with it's, it's, uh, some have compared this to look, if you undergo major surgery, it takes a while to heal and get better. Uh, if you look back at, uh, the Reagan years, 
uh, again, the first term of, of Ronald Reagan. I mean, we had a, a pretty significant recession uh, uh, despite uh, the, the tax cuts and despite the regulatory cuts that, that he made. It takes a while to, to work out of it. Um, so so I, I think those are those are pieces of it. Uh, there's other parts that I think go to just the Kansas's uh, specific economy um, well, and, you know, and changes there. And uh, does does one size fit all, all the time? So, uh, you know, I, I guess that's for, for me to argue that. Um, uh, look, uh, yes, the tax cuts worked. I mean, I, I can't do that. I mean, it's sort of the numbers are what they are. Sure. Um, uh, but. Uh, um, well, you know, let's start with what I think both of us can agree on. And I think both of us can agree uh, that tax cuts uh, in certain circumstances can actually spur economic growth. I'm I'm willing to certainly admit that I'm no liberal ideologue, right? And right. and so you can tax people too much and that can that can uh, depress economic activity, growth and all that sort of thing. That's absolutely I, I don't think there's any question about that. So it seems to me that the the point of contention between liberals, between what I'd call reasonable liberals and conservatives is how far can you go? Uh, before tax cuts become too draconian and actually end up causing causing problems, right? And it also matters, you know, tax cuts across the board aren't necessarily a good thing. It's what kind of tax cuts, it's how they're designed and, and that sort of thing. Like, it seems pretty clear that one of the problems with the Kansas experiment was these tax cuts were, especially the, the whole the tax cuts relating to what are called business pass-throughs. We won't get into the details, but we're designed so essentially small businesses, LLCs, mom and pop type small companies. Yeah, and and they were designed. Your taxes through your individual return, as opposed to getting a, a corporate tax. Right, but, but I mean, my larger point is they were designed in such a way that smart people figured out how to game the system, and that wasn't the intent of the folks in Kansas. Uh, just so, you know, there are these unintended consequences, as you mentioned. And, but, but I think in general, it's, it suggests, as you also pointed out that when you make radical changes like this, you got to expect some unintended consequences. Uh, and, and to me, I guess I, I would say that this is, you know, this is a very kind of deeply conservative lesson in that kind of tr traditional Burkean sense that you and I have talked about. And, and I'm sort of glad for the Kansas experiment. This is one of the great things about federalism, right? Is you can say, well, what happens when you cut taxes tremendously and you also don't uh, correspondingly cut spending? Well, you end up with a massive deficit. Now, this is a lesson that we should have learned already because we've seen this in the United States since really the 1980s. You mentioned Ronald Reagan, you know, we saw huge tax cuts, but we didn't see or corresponding spending cuts. And our deficits, if you take a look at deficits over time, starting in that Reagan era, they start ballooning. And that's because while everyone, almost everyone loves tax cuts, people don't like to cut spending. It's much politically more difficult to do. And so if you're not going to do both, now Brownbeck certainly wanted to cut government services and so forth. Part of this had sure. to do with the fact that the, the, the courts in Kansas said, um, you actually have to fund your state education system, you know, and so that cost them a lot of money that they didn't want to spend otherwise. And so to be fair, there was that old saying, I think it was Grover Norquist, who I mentioned, well, I might've mentioned earlier, I don't know, but 
who said his idea was what he wanted to make government small enough so you could hold it down in a tub and kill it or something like that. I mean, yes, <laughs> you know, so part of this is the whole kind of starve the beast argument that Jay, I know you're familiar with is that you cut taxes and cutting taxes will force you to cut programs. But what happened right. here was cutting taxes caused the public to say, hey, we actually like a certain level of services and we're going to elect people who will give us this level of services, which is what they did. And then they went ahead and overturned a lot of these tax cuts. So I would say the system worked uh, with a slight uh, brownback hiccup. Sure. Well, and look, this is I, I I'm with you as far as a, a federalism standpoint of um, look, laboratories of democracy. Let's let them try it. Uh, if the people of Kansas uh, choose to be taxed at a higher rate, then uh, then they can do that. And as you pointed out, if they tire of that, uh, they can make a change again. Um, you know, there is the issue. I mean, with the courts stepping in and saying you have to have this much funding, and, and we had there have been plenty of other situations like that across the country sure. where you have some sort of court mandated funding um, that that prevents the ability to starve the beast. Uh, it's sort of, you know, okay, we're going to starve the beast, but the beast is going to keep keep eating no matter what. Um, the other the other piece to remember in comparison to the federal government is state governments have to balance their budgets, right? Um, which which means they do actually have to 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 make the cuts, uh, and that that is tough, and that is tough and unpopular. And, and you know, in the Reagan era, so much of what happened was, yeah, you could get tax cuts, and uh, 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 you could have spending uh, increases or spending remain the same. Uh, because you could just keep, uh, you know, accruing debt. Uh, whereas, uh, it's, it's more difficult for states to do that. Uh, yeah. They have to either issue some sort of bonds or, or something like that to actually issue an approved debt as opposed to, to just doing it. Um, uh, so, uh, look, I'm, I'm sure there are going to be some liberals who are gloating or say tax cuts are no good, but, um, in the long run, I think, uh, cutting taxes is still probably the, one of the, the greatest tools to, to stimulate the economy, uh, and, uh, should not be, uh, should not be abandoned, uh, simply because things didn't work out in Texas or in uh, Kansas. You know, and, and one final point I want to make on this is, is, is I don't think this is going to change anyone's mind, despite the fact that, you know, pretty empirically, the specific Kansas experiment was a, a failure because, you know, it, it reminds me of, and, and kind of go, I'll go back a ways, all those folks who saw the horrible stuff that happened with the Soviet Union and the fall of communism and so forth. And they said, you know, it's not that communism is a bad system. Being the, 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 hor the horrible part being communism, not, yeah. not its fall. Though, no, right? no. The, yeah, no. The horrible <laughs> part being that communism is this wonderful system that would work just dandy if it were implemented correctly. You know, and right. there there are these apologists for communism who still right. believe you always that have, if you had the right people in charge, exactly you know, people like me, yeah, it would work fine. Yeah. And and you know, and and so this is you know this is an article of just like uh, a socialism, communism is an article of faith with some people on the left. Tax cuts are you know, and limited government libertarianism. This is an article of faith with a lot of people or some people on the right. And so no matter what kind of experiments we run or what kind of uh, failures there are, there's going to be a certain, I would say, significant uh, percentage of people who are just not going to admit that that means that their ideology is a failed ideology. It just doesn't happen, unfortunately, I would say. Sure. 
Well, so, and I, you know, I don't know, maybe, well, you know, the, what I would point out though, is there, there have been some, I think this does make other states a little more cautious, mm-hmm. uh, and Good some point. other Midwestern states, uh, Nebraska for one, um, I think the Oklahoma Republicans also made a, a statement similar to like, they were considering big tax cuts, but they're pulling back a little bit. Right. And, and, you know, again, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it maybe to a lesser extent and, and more targeted, um, so we'll see. So I, I think it does serve as, as sort of a cautionary tale. Uh, I would agree it's not going to, to change the the ideology uh, that uh, tax cuts, nor, nor should it, uh, the tax cuts uh, stimulate the economy. But well, it's, he- it's a, uh, I guess, word of caution that, you know, it's sometimes it's also also sometimes the the um, uh, the dosage, uh, you know, that you have to get right, I guess. Sure. You know, um, you know, I think that's a great point you make. And I think that that is one of the great benefits of, well, elections is that to a certain extent, while while legislators can be ideologues, they also have to be pragmatists. And when they see that other folks are in neighboring states are losing elections because the public doesn't like the results, you know, well, then you have to say, well, ideology is one thing, but I'd kind of like to keep my position. And so I have to, you know, I have to take that into account. So I think that's a, that's a check on kind of untrammeled uh, ideological uh, experiments, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, now it's time for what we're reading, where we step back from the crazy pace of the news cycle and talk about the more in-depth, thoughtful things we're reading, listening to, or watching. Um, Jay, do you want to start off this week? Do you want me to? I'll start off. Okay. Um, I'm reading, and this is one of those uh, things where I've read a number of his articles, I've heard him speak, uh, and he's someone who has made a, a really deep impression on me. Uh, Brian Stevenson, uh, wrote, wrote a book called, uh, just mercy. And it's about the, you know, issues with our criminal justice system, particularly, uh, um, capital punishment. Uh, and you know, I, I want to say this is, this is one of these, these books that I would encourage all conservatives to read because it's going to challenge you. It's, it's going to be, it's, it's, this is something that sort of takes me out of my comfort zone. Um, but, uh, Stevenson, is a lawyer uh, who served uh, in uh, representing uh, indigent uh, death penalty um, uh, defendants and and others. And it his his argument is that look, you need proximity to really understand these problems. And and I think that's that's true because when you see this in the abstract, and it's tough for the average person to get that proximity. But you know, read the book and you can kind of pick up on it. Um, uh, it's, it, it's, it talks a lot about what we're, what we're doing, uh, wrong and what we've been doing wrong for probably about the last 30 years in terms of, of criminal justice or criminal sentencing. Now I, 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 I would differ with him on some of the, why, why it happened and, and, and what the prescription to fix it would be. Um, but he, he really captures what the, the problem is. And I, again, not to go on about, but it's not all about me, but uh, you know, I had an experience uh, early in my career where where I had the opportunity to to visit prisons and to to tour uh, state prisons and talk to the wardens, talk to the inmates, and it's it it really if you have that experience, it fundamentally changes the way you look at criminal justice and criminal justice system. And I've worked with the court system um, uh, in in various capacities, uh, and again, it's it's something that I think people don't don't realize that. Um, 
we're we're losing a generation of uh, of of people, especially right. uh, black males, um, and that loss, I, I think, and, and Stevenson thinks, I mean, is is sort of is reflected in further crime, further violence uh, in, in those communities. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. And again, it's it's not something uh, one would expect uh, from a law and order conservative like me. Um, but for for conservatives who who also come from a place of uh, Christian compassion, I think it's it's an important thing to read. All right, you know, and it, I, we've talked about this issue before, right? And it seemed like at least for a little while, toward the end of the Obama administration, that there might be some uh, almost some bipartisan uh, consensus about the need for yeah. criminal justice reform. Though, uh, with the appoint with Donald Trump's appointment of Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, Sessions definitely is not a big fan of any kind of changes. In fact, he's more of a kind of a standard, you know, lock them up and throw away the key sort of approach and so forth. So uh, regardless of what you think about that approach, it doesn't seem like we're going to see any sort of significant change at any point in the near future, at least not on the uh, federal level with that. Right. Although I can tell you there are a, a number of, a lot of conservatives at the state level who, yeah. who have been looking at these kind of questions. Uh, and it's it's a matter of, of uh, you know, Two things. To some extent, if you're conservative, you can look at our current criminal justice system as this is this is a failed government program that costs a lot of money and doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and therefore, that's it's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this week I started reading a book, uh, The Sixth Extinction. This is the 2014 uh -oh. Pulitzer Prize winning book by Elizabeth Colbert. And and in the book, she looks at the, at the five mass extinction events in the Earth's past. And then she argues that scientific evidence suggests that we may currently be in a sixth extinction, one that's being caused not by, you know, asteroids or other natural phenomena, but, but by human activity. And I, I picked up the book because of the very strong response to our show last week on climate change. Um, and and I, I decided, you know, a number of listeners said, well, maybe you should, you know, educate yourself a little more on this. And I thought, well, that seems like a reasonable suggestion. And so I started uh, looking for some in-depth podcast uh, interviews with people just to kind of get a sense while I was doing some other things. And, and, and I found one with, um, with Elizabeth Col uh, Colbert and, and uh, it, it impressed me and I got, got the book the next day. And uh, I should point out, we're going to be talking more about climate change, politics and policy in a, in a special Ask the Politics Guy show, which will be airing this Wednesday, and it will actually include uh, our responses to a number of, well, very impassioned listener comments and criticisms. But like I said, from this, one thing that, that I took away is, you know, it, it, it wouldn't hurt me, certainly, to get a little more in-depth with, with, uh, with some of the science and so forth behind that. And so I picked up this, uh, this book, Do That, and so far it's been, it's been a fascinating read. Okay. All right. Okay, moving on to our listener mail. But before we actually, before we get to listener mail, uh, some folks might remember a little while ago, Jay posted an article on our Facebook page about uh, the clash, I believe it was, right, Jay? Yes, yes. And, and the only band that ever mattered. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and, and, he, and he announced the best conservative rock song challenge. And a bunch of listeners responded with nominations. And, and Jay said, well, we'll pick a winner on today's show. Uh, 
Now, before the show, Jay and I talked about criteria by which we choose, um, because it could, of course, be just completely whatever sounded good to us, but we thought it'd be nice to have some criteria. Uh, so, and, and part of it is whatever sounded good to yeah, us, that, but there are criteria too. Yeah. And, and the, the two big things, uh, number one, it has to have obviously a conservative message and not some kind of ironically conservative message. I think somebody suggested like uh, uh, kill the poor by the dead Kennedys or something like that, which wouldn't really count in that sense because it was obviously not a serious conservative message. Um, but another thing was it, it couldn't just be some song that your cousin George's band recorded, you know, and, and so forth. It has to be like a, a, a reasonably popular song that people somewhere in the popular of. consciousness. Exactly. And yeah. so, yeah, from all the entries, from all the suggestions, uh, we put together a list of, of five finalists, which actually weirdly enough, as we were talking about before the show seemed to kind of each hit one element of, conservatism, you could say. Uh, the first is Back in the USA by Chuck Berry, which is sort of a, uh, a cheerleading, patriotic, conservative kind of song, I guess you could say. Is that be fair, Jim? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, the second, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, uh, which is sort of a every guy, sort of, you know, uh, working man, sort of Sort of a disdain for the the liberal elites, uh, the entertainment profession, as compared to people who really work for a living. Exactly. Um, the third, uh, "Spirit in the Sky" by Norman Greenbaum, and I think that one's obvious. That kind of appeals to the the evangelical uh, the evangelical uh, segment of conservatism. Uh, next, we have "Sweet Home Alabama" by Leonard Skinner, uh, the cult for the cultural conservatives. And finally, go ahead, Jay. Oh, I was going to say, and, and to the extent it was written as an answer to to Neil Young's yes. uh, song "Southern Man," so exactly. And finally, "Tax Man" by the Beatles for the economic conservatives. So, Jay, you're the one who came up with the contest. Uh, uh, what do you think? I think these were all fine, uh, fine finalists. Uh, but which they one? they are all all fine finalists. Uh, I think our our pick for the winner is going to be uh, "Tax Man" uh, by the Beatles. Uh, and again, it's a little weird because obviously the Beatles are not folks that you would uh, describe as conservatives. No. Conservatives, um, albeit they also did a a recording earlier in their career of uh, "Money." Uh, that's what I want. Um, uh, until Brian Epstein told them they couldn't do it anymore. Uh, so, so, uh, but it, to me, it speaks to the fundamental uh, conservative position of the government getting into. Uh, what is yours? Uh, and uh, overstepping its bounds. Uh, uh, so I, I would award that to be the number one conservative song. Now, I, I think there, um, we'll do honor, honorable mentions on another show because this is fun and I could go on for a while. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, uh, congratulations and thank you for all who all who played. And uh, we'll do something like this again sometime, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So for our listener mail, uh, first we have Jay from Morgan Hill, California, who wants to know what we think about the conservative viewpoint that health is linked with virtue and virtuous living and that sickness is equated with lack of virtue. Uh, I, I thought this was kind of an interesting question. And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's sort of a religious concept that goes way back, really, right, in which uh, some people believe that health and wealth are the visible signs of God's favor. And so people who are healthy and wealthy should be respected and potentially even given preferential treatment as a reward for their virtue. Um, so, Jay, what do you think about that? Well, I, you know, I think on, on the one hand, if you take out the, the religious sense of it, um, 
I think there's there's something that's absolutely uh, to it uh, in that a whole lot of our problems, health health problems that people experience uh, are are caused by uh, personal choices. Uh, you know, I think if you ask any doctor what's the best thing you can do for your health, he would tell you stop smoking. Um, uh, but but a lot of of the ailments that we suffer uh, are related to lifestyle, and it, it's impossible to 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 just deny that that is is a part. And and I and I get the idea that um, there are some folks who say, look, uh, I look, I don't I don't drink, I don't smoke, I eat right, I run five miles a day, uh, I'm in great shape. Uh, why am I paying more uh, for for those who who do not uh, and who who choose to um, you know, wait till they get sick. They go to the emergency room, bigger charges that gets passed on to everyone else. So no, I, I think there is something to that. Now, I, I don't think that any conservatives really, I shouldn't say any, I'm sure there's some out there believe in sort of the religious, uh, connotation that if you're, if you're living right, God will, uh, keep you from getting sick. I, I'm sure there are plenty of really devout people who get terrible diseases. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, that's, that's the, you know, the universe we, we live in. And, uh, I think, uh, at least my understanding of, of, uh, you know, of God is something that is, is bigger than a simple kind of reward punishment sort of thing. And there, there's a greater purpose. So to the extent he's asking a sort of a theological question, um, um, I, I don't think there's, there's a whole lot there in terms of, you know, does that really drive conservative ideology? But uh, on the other hand, to the extent that, Look, there are choices that people make that, that make them healthier or less healthy. Um, no, that that is something. I mean, the, you know, you. I don't know if you get all the ads on on your uh, when you do web searches of like, you know, you can get lower life insurance premiums if you can run an eight minute mile and so sure. forth. And um, but but look, that's <laughs> that. I mean, there is something to virtuous living. And when I say virtuous, I'm I'm not talking necessarily about going to church, but uh, healthy living. There you um, go leading to fewer, fewer health problems. Yeah, no, I, I don't have a whole lot to add to that because I basically agree with you uh, in, in entirety. I mean, uh, I think you're right that pretty clearly people who do certain things, engage in certain healthier behaviors, you know, are, are uh, do themselves a big favor. I guess the only things I would add would be to say that oftentimes it's more difficult for people uh, in certain socioeconomic statuses to do some of these healthy things, uh, uh, to eat, to eat better, to eat fresh foods and that sort of thing. I mean, you know, if you're, for instance, you know, we talk about, you know, I'll bring it, I'll bring in one of our sponsors, you know, for instance, Blue right. Apron, you know, and it, it, it's great. It's healthy. It's fresh and all that. But, you know, there are a lot of folks who just can't afford that sort of thing, or a lot of folks who just can't afford, who don't even have necessarily a grocery store they can go to for fresh stuff and so forth. And processed food is so much easier and quicker and cheaper and so forth. And and so, you know, these are very real inequality issues that oftentimes make it harder for poor people to be healthier. And I think that's important to point out. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we have time for, I think, one more listener question. It's kind of a combo question, basically. Uh, a couple of listeners, uh, Christopher and Douglas, are the two names, uh, who uh, asked us essentially, well, you know, we talk, when we were talking about the Middle East, essentially, and saying that, isn't it true that Saudi Arabia, our good friend, is a pretty oppressive 
uh, oppressive country that has, uh, if not directly sponsored terrorism, certainly doesn't discourage it in a way that they kind of encourage a very sort of fundamentalist view. Uh, and by contrast, Iran in many ways is not nearly as bad on that front, whether you want to talk about women driving or, or elections or things like that. And so therefore, aren't we, and this is probably both Douglas and Christopher, I hope you don't get mad at me trying to sort of paraphrase you here dramatically, but are we really you know, making the right choice? Are we siding with the less liberal regime here? And is that a mistake, especially considering maybe our history of past what you might call bad conduct in, in Iran with the whole supporting the repressive Shah and that leading to the revolution and so forth. So, Jay, what do you think about that? Well, you know, we, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I think we made pretty clear that the Saudis are, are far from ideal allies. Uh, there are a whole lot of things we can complain about, uh, about Saudi Arabia, uh, its, its government, and in the bigger part, it, its culture, uh, that, that I think this is what they're getting at, um, of, of uh, Wahhabism and that is part of the spread. I mean, the, the majority, I, I want to say the majority, I think, of, of the 9-11 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia or, or had links to Saudi Arabia. Um, so absolutely, that's, that's, that's troubling. Um, but when you're talking about foreign policy and, and state-to-state relations and, and, you know, the, the real politic, uh, sort of situation of how the, the real world works. Um, sometimes you have to choose the, the lesser of, of two evils. Um, and, and in my view, uh, I, I think siding with the Saudis is, is the better choice. Um, for one, they're not a, a state sponsor of, of terror. Uh, two, they're not, uh, expansionist, uh, in the, in the sense that, uh, the Iranians are seeking to uh, extend their influence into into other other countries. Uh, and three, they're they're someone that we can work with, uh, that the West can can work with uh, the Iranians. Uh, that has not been the case. Um, uh, you know, so I, that's look, I I agree with you. That's it's not a good choice to make, um, but that's the choice that that we have. Um, so yeah, and you know, I I think. You make a number of good points there, uh, and I, to a certain extent, agree. Uh, but I also think that, that given all of these factors, that the sort of approach that President Obama took was a much more reasonable approach that tried to balance these things uh, in a better way. So, sure, under President Obama, the Saudis were uh, better, closer allies to us. Well, we can't even call Iranians allies, obviously. But, right. but. But President Obama made sure to at least make some mention of the fact that, hey, we have we have a, a significant problem with how you treat, uh, you know, uh, your people. And we can't embrace you as a country because we have these values and you do not share these values that are that are critically important, that are fundamental to what we believe in as Americans. And, and you know, similarly, we certainly can't embrace Iran because of all those reasons you point out. But also, you know, we, we want to try to do what we can, I think, to, to try to 
bring them into the sort of community of reasonable nations and not isolate them to the extent where they feel like their only option is to, you know, do the sort of thing that they'd been doing. So I really felt that the Obama approach, while it you know, certainly wasn't perfect, I think was a much better balancing of things than the Trump approach. I think just generally speaking, President Trump is much more of a kind of black or white sort of guy. Good guys are bad guys, whereas President Obama saw things much more in shades of gray. Now, sometimes that can be problematic, certainly. Uh, I, you know, I certainly have taken issue with President Obama's Syria policy for those kind of reasons. Sometimes you need to be more kind of clear cut but in other cases, I think it does make more sense. And this is one of these cases, I think. Yeah, I mean, to, to the biggest point, uh, I guess, if you want to put it in one sentence, is the Saudis aren't working to build a nuclear weapon. Well, that's that's true. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's, sure. you know, and, and uh, again, to the extent that, that the Saudis do engage in repression, uh, they are not, uh, at least as a nation. Now, again, you can you can debate uh, movements, you know, cultures within the nation. Uh, but as a nation state, they're not seeking to export it. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what destabilizes the world. And, and that's, you know, our interested interest is uh, and this is going to be, you know, probably will upset pe some people. But look, our interest is more instability than than protection of sure. uh, or our first interest is instability. Uh, and then, and then second, uh, would be how they, they treat their own people. Sure. You know, and I guess I would say one final thing on this is that, you know, we, I believe have a fair amount of leverage over Saudi Arabia. It didn't used to be quite that way when we depended a lot more on their oil, but thanks to the, 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 the dubious advantage of, of fracking and so forth, we're much more in energy independent than we've been in quite a while. And, and you know, given how much support we give to Saudi Arabia, you know, you can make a case that we could exercise a bit more leverage over them than maybe even President Obama was willing to do. I understand and appreciate the folks who say we should do that. And but but again, Jay, I, I agree with you. We're in a region where we have there's a lot going on and there are a lot of just really pretty poor choices. And no matter what we do, we're going to have to deal with some pretty crummy consequences and some people are going to be justifiably upset, I think. Yeah. And, and ironically, I would also point out to some extent, the leverage we have with Saudi Arabia is due in part because of Saudi Arabia's concern with Iran. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. If you've got a question, comment, correction, or you just want to say hi, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. Our Facebook page where you can message us and where we post throughout the week is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we're also on Twitter at politicsguys. You know, we hope you'll check out our sponsors for this week, lordtimepieces.com, the makers of fashionable quality watches where you can get 10% off by using our code TPG at checkout. They're SeatGeek, the easy way to get tickets for live events at a great price and where you get $20 off your first purchase by using our code politics guys and finally blue apron great fresh meals delivered right to your door for less than ten dollars per person per meal and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash tpg we'll be back with our weekly news roundup and analysis next sunday we hope you'll join us